Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Stephanie Walter today. And you are going to learn so much about the wealthy mindset, the mindset of the wealthiest investors on the planet. You're going to unlearn perhaps some things that you thought about money previously. And I think you're going to learn how to create generational wealth within your family. Today's episode is phenomenal. I want to encourage you to buckle up And I want to remind you that Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your coach. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time Let's raise the bar. Before we dive into this episode, I want to, first of all, thank you for being here. I want to thank you for playing full out. I want to thank you for investing in your future self. I want to thank you for investing in the future, you know, really people that surround you because who you become is who other people around you become as well. So you're doing a great service to humanity by being here. I also want to encourage you to follow us, give us a rating, a review. If you are listening to this podcast, we are in incredibly grateful for everyone that's here. We're also incredibly grateful for your feedbacks. We'd love to know what is it that you love about this podcast. So go ahead and give us a rating or review if you have not done so already. Also, by the way, the fee we just ask is that you pay this forward. You share this with a friend, share this with your network, pay pay this forward on social media. If you're enjoying Elevate Podcast, if you're here to listen, we just ask that you pay the fee. It's 100% free, but the only thing we ask you to do is to just go ahead and pay it forward. So please go ahead and do that now. And with all that said, I want to dive in. I want to introduce you to Stephanie Walter, who is a capital raiser, syndicator, and the CEO of Irby Wealth. She recently retired and sold her insurance agency of 16 years by following the key principles she teaches to she teaches professionals to use. She teaches professional people to unlearn what most of us have been wired to think about money, and she re-educates people to learn the secrets of the wealthy investor that can be life-transforming. She is a gateway between these professionals and well-vetted deals. Over years of working with her investors, Stephanie discovered the very wealthy, how the very wealthy use and view their money differently than the rest of us. And and not just their money, but money in, in general. They actively have their money working for them, sometimes at several places at the same time. They also strategically look at tax mitigation on every investment, whether that is taking advantage of cost segregation, which is something that I love, of course, or by using 1031 exchanges to invest in syndicated opportunities. Stephanie realized that these strategies can be used by anyone, not just the rich. Her passion is teaching people these concepts on attaining lasting wealth. Stephanie's goal is to connect her select group of investors or what she would call her tribe with investment opportunities that she's found and vetted to be extremely desirable. At the end of the day, Stephanie is looking to help her investors reach their financial goals. 
Without further ado, please welcome Stephanie Walter. Stephanie Walter, welcome to Elevate. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. And I really appreciate you being on the show with me. I'm excited about diving into your story. I'm excited about diving into your expertise and learning more about your perspective, because I think it's going to be really valuable. But before we dive into this conversation, if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best, whether it's family members, friends, people that have known you for many years, what would they say about Stephanie Walter? Oh boy, I think just a hard worker. I know it sounds boring. I'm a, also very much an entrepreneur, uh, you know, uh, pretty positive person, pretty persistent. I think I've gotten that from a lot of my um, friends who can't imagine doing what I do on a daily basis. And uh, they say, well, uh, it must be because you're, you're just never afraid to ask anyone for anything. And <laughs> I guess I'm not. <laughs> Why do you think that they could never imagine doing what you do? I think most people, I, I don't think what I do is that, you know, special, but uh, they, you know, I think a lot of people are tied into their 401k or tied into their W-2 jobs um, mm -hmm. and they can't imagine um, walking away from that. It, it feels very risky, um, sure. but I also kind of got that from a lot of friends when I started investing in single family rentals. They were just like, but what if they don't pay, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so I think also I'm definitely an optimist. I, I just have always felt like things will work out. And I definitely got that from my dad, who was an entrepreneur as well. That's awesome. And uh, man, I can really relate with uh, a lot of what you're saying, because, you know, many people that know me or know people, you know, in our kind of line of work, whether it's entrepreneurs, investors, a lot of people question, well, it's like, well, what exactly is it that you do? And um, wait a minute. So when do you, when do you get your paycheck and you know, what's your job? I get that a lot. It's like, what, 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 how's your job going and things like that. And it's, it is interesting because you know, it's, it's not the norm. It's not what most people were taught and it's not really widely understood. I know we're going to talk a lot about unlearning today, um, which I'm excited about unlearning what you think about money and how you perceive the creation of wealth and, you know, develop and strengthen and protect wealth. So I'm excited about that, but you know, you and I have a lot in common in that, but you know, in terms of the hard worker approach, the positivity, the persistence, I mean, is that something that you've developed along the way or is that just something that's naturally um, a part of who you are? Yeah, I think it's definitely naturally um, who I am. Um, and before I got into real estate, I was uh, I owned an insurance agency for 16 years. And um, you just realize, I think my one friend said it best, you know, everybody, you know, I wants to start a business and they think it's a fabulous idea. Um, I, I worked, I've worked with a lot of uh, small business owners when I was a insurance agent and I could always kind of tell this, if this person was going to make it or not make it based on uh, you know, why they did it, what their reasons are, you know, stuff like that. But what I would hear would be, uh, well, you know, I was just kind of tired of doing the nine to five and just really wanted to be my own boss and wanted to work when I wanted to work, you know, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, 
well, you're going to work harder at this than you ever did at a job. So hopefully you yes. love it. <laughs> I know. I always cringe when I hear that. Well, I want to do this so I can make my own schedule. It's like, okay, are you ready for your schedule to be absolutely taken over? Cause that's yeah. what making your own schedule looks like. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to, I want to come back to, you know, running your insurance agency, the decision to, you know, transition from that into what you're doing now. But before we do that, let's talk about your upbringing and sort of where you came from, what was life like growing up and so forth. And let's get an understanding of your, your backstory. Well, yeah, I, I'm a native Coloradan, actually. So um, there's not a lot of us left. But <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I was raised, um, you know, in middle class. My parents, I mean, I felt, I've told people, I feel like, you know, people talk about winning the lottery. I mean, I feel like being born in the household I was and being raised the way that I was, was, was really winning the lottery. I was, had two loving parents. My dad, um, he quit his W2 uh, early in my life. Uh, I think when I was seven, he, he started his first business. And um, so I've always seen, um, and he's, he did several businesses, but I've always, that was what I was modeled really. So, you know, it, it seemed natural to me. He also liked real estate and um, ha had invested in some pieces of property. So he was definitely, um, I guess I didn't realize how much I was like him until he passed away about 16 years ago. And um, when I, that's when I moved into um, running a business and that, I was like, gosh, I'm a lot more like my dad than I ever thought. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. looking back, you know, and, and when he passed away, was that when you made the decision to become an entrepreneur in his honor or? Nope. I actually, it was about six months before he passed away. I had a conversation with him and I, I had just gotten a raise. Uh, I'd done, um, I'd sort of moved up in the ranks in, in the job I was in and I was working for someone I didn't really like that much. And uh, I got this fabulous raise of 2% and I went home and, or, you know, talked to my dad and I was like, dad, I just like, if I'm going to make 2% for the rest of my life, you know, and that's considered a super, you know, raise and I'm going to work for people that I don't think that I think I know more about that. I just, I couldn't see that happening and dad was just like well i think you should just you know perhaps this is a better path for you you know to to be to be your own boss and to <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't sugarcoat it and i you know growing up i saw that he was gone you know a lot um so i knew that that was what i was heading for so i quit my job like i said about six months before he passed away and so I felt like I got a lot of good wisdom, but I, I could have used some more <laughs> yeah. uh, because I was pretty new in being an entrepreneur um, when he passed away, but um, definitely was the right choice for me. And that was pretty much the first time in my adult life that I felt like I, you know, that this made sense, what I was doing. Um, it just clicked for me. So I, I liked it. 
Well, I can resonate with that in a big way because the exact same thing happened to me. I remember I got a 2% raise and I was asking for raises left and right. Cause I thought I was more valuable. I was in a, I was in a corporate world mm-hmm. and you know, I got the 2% raise, which is more of a, you know, I guess cost of living annual raise that most corporations will build in for their employees. And I think it's a part of the financial projections anyway. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, experiencing that at the time, and I'm sure it felt like this for you, it felt like a slap in the face. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what's the deal here? And so you got this amazing advice, which said, all right, well, if you're not happy about that, then take matters into your own hand and go out there and create more value so that you can create more income. And, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said about that. And so there's life happening for you rather than life happening to you. So, right. It's pushing you in this direction then to call you to transform from an employee to an entrepreneur, which is a massive leap. And as you mentioned, you're like, I wish I would have had more wisdom, more advice, because you didn't even almost know what you were getting yourself into. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think there's a big thing here. There's a big mindset shift from being an entrepreneur, from being an employee to becoming an entrepreneur and what that is required um, of you to be successful because it's not guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. So then you made a transition into leading an insurance agency. So tell us a little bit about that leap. Um, it made a lot of sense because um, my background up to that point was I was a claims adjuster for insurance companies and you know, had worked my way up to, you know, handling fairly serious auto accidents. And um, so I felt like, you know, I understood the policies probably much better than most people. But um, just kind of from looking and seeing my dad and understanding that, you know, a lot of people start businesses, but they don't know how to market themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And I did get some advice from my dad about who he felt like, he distinguished with me the difference between a referral um, and then just trying to go out and and cold, not necessarily cold call, but uh, just the importance of like people within my circle of influence sending me referrals, trying to figure out who will give you the most basically (laughs) Yeah, as simple as that is. It sounds very simple, but um, yeah. And so I focused really heavily on mortgage people because the flow of business is usually the person, you know, the client contacts a real estate agent, then they contact a mortgage person, then the mortgage person usually leads them to the insurance. So that was really my strategy when I went into that business. And um, it, it worked really well, because as my dad had mentioned, you know, when someone is referred to you, that's not that's a person that's coming that's pretty much already sold on on your product and um it's not going to come down to you uh you know competing on price which you know can be hard <laughs> absolutely yeah to say the least <laughs> it's no, more that's of awesome. a commodity for sure yeah for sure and when you have that relationship or the you know the vouch of you know, the seal of approval from someone else that someone else trusts, there's so much value in that. And, you know, even just going back to the thought process of understanding the behavior and the flow of decision-making in that business was really, it gave you the ability of crafting that strategy and right. Positioning mm-hmm. yourself to not only prospect and develop the right relationships and develop leverage 
in the corners of the marketplace where you could create value, where you could deliver value. So that's amazing. And yeah. as you continue to grow your business, obviously over the course of 16 years, I'm sure there's many other you know nuggets of wisdom that you could share in terms of excelling as an insurance agent and as, as an insurance agency and as a leader within that agency. But in terms of the transition that you made, you decided, well, wait a minute, you know, let's think about money in the way that the truly wealthy, you know, of America and beyond think about money and, and behave in terms of how they grow and protect their wealth. So you decided to shift as yeah. a real estate investor from, from insurance to being a real estate investor and a real estate syndicator. So tell me a little bit about that next leap. Yeah. Well, around the same time that I bought or got into the insurance business, I bought my first rental property. And that was sort of like, I, I always loved real estate. It always made sense to me. And so though I didn't have a lot of education, I, I felt like I had a really good sense of, you know, how Denver was going to grow and what areas might be, you know, good to invest in. So that's what I did starting in 2005. Basically, you know, those first few years, I bought um, quite a few rentals um, when the market had crashed in 7 and 08. And um, just again, <laughs> kind of threw myself in, figured, you know, in the back of my mind that things would just work themselves out. There was a lot of learning because I was a landlord and I felt like <laughs> the way that I learned in that particular spot was you learn kind of by your mistakes um, because, yep. you know, that one was truly kind of um, jumping in and, and figuring it out. And so I got to the point where I was thought, you know, in, I don't know, the 2015, 2016, that I like the idea of apartments and I went to one of those, you know, training seminars and they broke down what a syndication is. And I absolutely, it was just like the clouds opened up the, you know, the sun shined through and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. I just loved, loved the idea of a group of people buying something bigger than anyone could do on their own. And I just, I completely love that concept. I fell in love with it. So from that moment on, I just kind of immersed myself in learning because there's a great deal of learning and you can't really wing it no. <laughs> uh, like I was doing um, in the multifamily space. Uh, so I closed on my first syndication in 2018 and then realized again, from, you know, how that went that I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to do one of them completely by myself again. And so then kind of reached out and, and found a kind of a, a colleague partner who loved doing the things that um, I didn't love. And I realized I loved working with investors and raising money. And um, from that, that's actually, this came quite late. You know, people are like, oh, you should figure this stuff out when you're 20. I just turned 50. And some of these things I learned after working with these investors, I put to action in 2018. And when I started putting these things into, into action, I was actually able to sell my insurance agency July 1st of this year. And essentially I can be retired, but I, you know, I actually love what I do. 
so I, I love to get the message out for people to know there's there's different ways to to do this whole work retirement thing. <laughs> hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I wanna invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. That is amazing. Well, congratulations on on selling your agency and making this huge transition, transitioning from being an active investor, you know, who was kind of making a lot of mistakes with your own money, learning the business the hard way, almost learning on the job. And I'm sure like 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 me, you made a ton of mistakes and it was like, yeah. you almost felt like you're, you're, you've dove into the deep end and you're like, wow, wait a minute, they didn't tell me anything about negative cash flow. They didn't tell me about these problems that could happen. And yeah. so there's just so much value in that type of learning and diving into the deep end, but there's not value in that type of learning with other people's money. So I can totally right. appreciate that. And then almost 10 years later, you said, well, let's let's scale this thing by learning that there's a capacity where more than one person, more than even a group, a small group of people, maybe even a larger group of individuals, can invest together to create larger opportunities, to create you know more substantial opportunities and create scale through real estate. I have a similar experience when I was a real estate broker. I was selling multifamily properties, and I'm you know at first I'm thinking, well, I'm 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 assuming these are just super wealthy individuals who are buying you know ten, twenty, thirty million dollar properties. But what I learned very quickly was that to a large degree, these were either funds or syndications. And this was a collection of individuals buying larger properties. I almost equate a syndication as I would, you know, it's like flying across the country. You can either charter a private jet and you can do that yourself, or you can go with 400 people, you know, yeah. across the country and spend a few hundred bucks instead of spending, you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars yourself. And so you can go farther together. And I think that's really, really powerful. And that's so exactly. I love that analogy. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing because then you can leverage the staff, you can leverage the fuel, you can leverage the expertise of the pilot, the technology of the plane and, and, you know, the, the air traffic control, the runways and all these things, and you leverage each other's capital to go farther. And that's the beautiful thing about syndication. So your first deal is in 2018. Um, do you focus in, 
Denver? Do you focus in Colorado or where, where do you focus on investing? I initially uh, bought a property in Fort Collins, Colorado. That was the first one I closed on. And then when I started working with my partner, he, uh, he's 35 years of experience of being a commercial um, broker in Florida. And, you know, Florida is, for people that don't know, is in just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a, for job growth, for businesses moving there, for wealth moving there. Um, there's housing shortages. There's all sorts of things. So we are on our sixth uh, purchase there that we'll be closing on at the end of this month. And so um, it's, it's a fantastic market. So that's really where we decided to focus. That's awesome. What, what particular, um, MSA are you guys focusing on or is it multiple in Florida? Uh, we're looking at basically multifamily. Mm-hmm. We did do, uh, we have done a retail, uh, in there really fantastic, um, opportunity. And then we did, we actually are doing a development, which we've, we've closed down now to investors, of luxury homes in Florida. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, but mostly, you know, the steady Eddie, the one that performs the best over time are the multifamily projects and that's what our investors love. So that's usually what we focus on. Well, it's a great distinction for any of the listeners who are not aware. I mean, you can syndicate any type of real estate, right? Whether it's land or whether it's an office tower, whether it's an industrial complex or an industrial single tenant property, whether it's multifamily, self-storage, I mean, you name it, development. I mean, you could go across the gamut and you can actually syndicate many businesses and right, many yeah. businesses and even Hollywood movies are syndicated if yeah. you are really aware of that. And so I think that's awesome. In terms of the cities that you focus on, are there particular cities in Florida? Are you across the entire state? We're across the entire state. We have a really nice portfolio growing in Tallahassee right now. Awesome. I think we'll be on our fourth deal there. But really, I mean, we're all over the state. As long as, you know, the market, we study the markets very, very um, intensely. But my partner just knows so many people and has so many connections. Our last two properties we bought um, before they even hit the market, um, which, you know, is, you know, where you're going to get the best discount. Totally. And so that's, um, yeah. So that's, that's how we've kind of structured it. <laughs> Stephanie, you and I have so much in common, uh, because we're doing the exact same thing. I mean, we were the last deal we just bought was direct to seller. The one previous to that was a pocket listing, you know, large multifamily properties. And so I can totally appreciate exactly what you're talking about. And the other thing too, is that powerful partnerships can get you there. And that's the exact thing that we're experiencing. So let's talk a little bit about your investment thesis. Um, You know, what exactly makes a good deal for you guys? And talk to me about the size of properties. I mean, I know you mentioned multifamily is really what you're focusing on, but how big, you know, what are the numbers look like and, and what makes a deal worth pursuing for you guys? Well, we both come from the same place on this, which I, I mean, the partner aspect of this is so important that you both align, um, you know, with your mindset. (laughs) Um, But both of us just really believe that, you know, the investors are pretty much everything and we cater our deals. um, So far on, this is our sixth deal. We, if we can't, Uh, give our clients a 20% annualized return. It's something that we 
um, 20, 20% or higher, then it's something we um, are not going to do, which means that we only close on one to two deals a year. This year, we actually closed, we're going to be closing on three, which is unusual for us. But I feel like the, that's one philosophy that we're, you know, on the same page with. But the, the other one is that neither one of us really want to work with family money um, for people listening, family, family office money. Um, is you, people pursue that to, you know, bring in fairly large chunks of money. But what you trade off in that process is um, a lot of the control of the deal. The family offices want to have a lot more say in how things are run. And both of us just kind of wanted to do this organically and, and build our business kind of with our investors in mind. Um, as the first priority um, to answer to them. And so we've largely we've stayed in, you know, the 50, uh, 50, 60 units um, uh, value add, strong value add. Um, we have one property we bought two years ago and we've already doubled our uh, the money for our investors. So we're going to be selling it, um, which is fantastic. But um but we just went under contract for 160 units and that's the biggest one we've done yet so far. So um, I feel we're moving in the right direction. We're growing, like I said, it's really important that we grew, you know, organically and didn't have to bring in, you know, those big, big checks from the family office. That's just our philosophy though. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with working with them, but for us, we wanted a lot more control. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. And, and and I can really appreciate just having the investors first mindset and approach just because, you know, if you're not treating your investors, your partners, right, then, you know, nothing's going to be successful. So I think it's, it's highly important to think about well, what's most important. And the most important is to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And you mentioned aligning on mindset with your partner. And, you know, obviously you just described a few of those things in terms of, all right, well, what's our, what's our vantage point? What's our thesis on what is going to make sense in the market? Who, you know, is our highest priority to serve? And also, you know, what are our philosophies on types of capital, which we receive and we deploy within our deals? How else did you identify an alignment of mindset? Was it sort of a, a period where you explored together uh, maybe sort sort of your models of the world and, 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 and identified where that matches, where that didn't match before you decided to partner up or how did that work? No, it's crazy. <laughs> Actually a mentor in my, in this business for me is a woman named Jeannie Orlowski and she does, uh, she has quite an impressive resume, but she's uh, 20 years, um, for working for our mentor. She's raised probably close to $300 million, um, and I kind of recognized when I started in this business that the person that raises the money has a great deal of, of power um, because that really tends to be a need that most people have. So she's probably one of the best judges of character I've ever met. And uh, I picked a partner that I worked, started to work my first syndication with, and it we did not proceed because um we were not aligned and we, I realized that pretty quickly. And so he exited the deal. Um, and she knew that I was sort of looking for that other piece. And she was like, why don't you call this 
Vino uh, is his name uh, because I did have a property I had under contract in Florida and uh, I met him in person and I, I didn't end up closing on that deal, but we had definitely went out um, and, and talked. I would love to say that, that we had those deep discussions. I, I think I felt for me, I could tell that he, well, he came very highly recommended from Jeannie, um, but also just, you know, interacting with him. But a lot of the stuff we've learned as we've worked together over the years, you know, is that we, we really do align with a lot of things. And I don't think that was intentional. It just worked out that way. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of value in being a part of a powerful network like that. And yeah. being resourceful, it's like when you ran into that challenge of, hey, I was out of alignment with this partnership. It's like, okay, well, I need to share this with some people around me so they can help me solve this problem. Now let's exit stage left, Mr. or Mrs. Partner that was not in alignment with me. And now let's make a plan here and let's resolve this issue. So I think there's so much wisdom in just sort of understanding how powerful your network can be and people around you can support you. But let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about unlearning what you think about money, because this is something that I know you're passionate about. Talk to me about your experience of unlearning what you thought about money and what you might suggest for others as they continue to evolve their own capacity for understanding wealth and creation of wealth. Well, in this business, you know, we work a lot with accredited investors. So that means they have a net worth of over a million dollars. But obviously there's there's a difference between someone worth a million dollars and someone that's worth like 30 million dollars. And so in our line of business, we get to work with all of those people. And what I found really, really interesting of working with a very wealthy people is that they definitely viewed money different than, than most people. <laughs> and they, and I, it took a while because, you know, you, you see it, but then to try to process it is a whole, a whole different thing. So it took me a while to kind of put it together. But um, what I realized is that the wealthy people use their money. It's a, it's a simple thing to say. They don't largely, um, invest in 401ks. You, you don't see the wealthy people having their money in IRAs or 401ks. Um, and, you know, as, as time has gone on, I, I understand the reasonings for that, but it, it was odd to me. Uh, and they are constantly knowing they're investing more. Wealthy people invest more in people, in ideas, and in projects, but mostly people. Um, and you know this by having syndications that they're gonna vet the team, see maybe your past or, or maybe just take a, a, a chance on you, but that's what they invest in. They invest in companies, uh, they invest in real estate syndications. They, they invest for passive income. They don't invest like, if you ask them what's more important, their net worth or their cash flow, they'll absolutely tell you the cash flow. Um, and that's, I didn't realize that either because I was really focused on build, building my single family, you know, empire. <laughs> and I realized that um, I did not, uh, yeah, I had a great net worth. It was a great net worth, but my cash flow was, you know, really piddly and sad. 
Um, so when I started putting this all together, I realized that the equity just sitting in these homes is doing absolutely nothing for me. And a wealthy person isn't going to just let that money sit, whether it be in an IRA account, in equity in their home, um, you know, or in a bank. They're, they're constantly having their money working for them, sometimes several places at the same time, the same money working several places for them at the same time. Um, so yeah, so by, so from that, I started selling my, my rental properties. I just sold my last one this year. And it's all been transitioned into syndications, largely ones that I'm involved with. And um, and yeah, from that, that passive income replaced my active income. And that was why I could retire. That's amazing. And so you had to unlearn that it wasn't about net worth. It was about cash flow. It was about, hey, you know, it's not necessarily about investing in a 401k or an IRA, but it's about investing in people. It's investing in ideas, projects, companies, syndication, real estate, um, and, and constantly having your money work and constantly moving your money, right? I almost think of like a river, right? If you if you see a pond that just sits still, it's most likely going to have algae growing in it. It might probably going to be a little bit toxic. It's going to have flies flying around it. You probably don't want to drink it, but right. if you have money flowing through a river or th flowing through a waterfall, you could probably put your cup underneath it and probably drink some of that. Cause it's probably pure. I think there's a delineation there when I think about money and I think about movement of money and flowing. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. That That's absolutely it. I, I use, that, well, it's not mine, but uh, I read it in a book, uh, accumulation verse, versus utilization. And that's the difference between the wealthy. The average person is told the 401k, let's just accumulate, 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 yet we have no, no control, can't, no liquidity, um, and really no idea of what tax ramifications are going to be in the future. Those three things would be absolutely unacceptable to a wealthy person. They're going to they're going to use their money and they're going to use it today. And they're going to know, you know, what their tax uh, ramifications are going to be. They're, they're going to know what they're, what they're expecting to make and what they'll continue to make. And then they'll use that money again and again. Yeah. You know, you mentioned tax, obviously tax strategy being a huge component of the secrets of a wealthy investor. It's obviously always top of mind because it can be, you know, the largest expense that we have as investors or entrepreneurs is taxes. But what are some other secrets of wealthy investors that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Oh, boy. Um, I think what I have learned from them would, yeah, just the, the taxes, that's a huge one. Uh, that's a huge one that most people don't think about. Um, but also just investing in things that are tangible, um, you know, that have a value, uh, like, you know, an apartment complex. It has cash flow, but maybe for some reason the cash flow stops. You'll be able to sell that. Um, and then I guess taking that a step further is let's look at what kind of hedge that will be uh, against inflation, um, which we all know is coming. But I, I had to speak um, a few weeks ago um, about some some things about multifamily. And I looked up this great little nugget was um, from 1980 to 2021. 
the average rent uh, had, was increased 8.86% a year. And so when you talk about what's a, you know, a fantastic hedge against inflation is investing in multifamily. I think then that brings me to one other thing, which is, I think, a really big myth is people think that wealthy people get wealthy by investing in high risk deals, essentially. Oh, yeah, you're, you're wealthy because you took that huge risk on that crazy deal. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. They want absolutely to be in a low risk vehicle and multifamily is is definitely that, uh, you know, that product over time. That's why big banks, insurance companies and the wealthy have used syndications for, you know, a hundred years. Yeah, that's super insightful. I think it's uh, it's interesting to always think about the relationship between risk and reward. And the common thinking is that the higher risk, the higher reward. Well, you can actually strike a balance. And I think what you've just exposed there is a big myth, perhaps along that line of thinking that you don't necessarily have to take massive risks to continue to grow, pres preserve and protect your wealth uh, for the long haul. And I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. So thank you for, for sharing that. Is there any mindset in particular that you've subscribed to or you've identified through rubbing shoulders or experiencing, you know, different real estate opportunities or otherwise with some of the wealthiest investors that you've had the pleasure of working with? Is there any particular mindset that really stands out to you? mindset around money and wealth? I'm thinking of some of my, you know, favorite investors is I find it interesting more about each of their backgrounds is that they're definitely, um, you know, they own different businesses, many, some own like many different businesses, um, but that a lot of them are older. But what I find is, is very interesting is they're, they're curious, you know, they want to get to know you, uh, but they, they're open, like to doing other things where is, you know, I, I'd like to break through to certain groups of investors that I haven't yet, um, because, I think certain people are just very skeptical of this, you know, and I think they're just, they're more open to doing things a different way, or they're more open to hearing about different opportunities. So um, I think it, that's what comes to mind is just the openness um, to learn something new, even when these people some of, of my investor, one of my investors is in his 80s. And this is his first syndication he's he's done is, is with us. And but it's yeah, I, I like that constantly learning the also the help. You know, they're always there to if you had a question, they're happy to learn more about you, sit down, you know, talk to talk to you about their past experience and what they've learned over their life. Um, so I find that willingness to help, too, is pretty cool. Yeah. Generosity, curiosity, openness, um, diversity, and, and just being genuine, I think is, is there's so much to be said about all that. It's, um, you know, it's a long-term approach to not only growing, 
um, which is, is why I think, you know, what I've identified in a pattern is that most of the wealthiest people that I know are, they want to learn and they want to continue to grow. They want to continue to become the next version of themselves so that they can give more to other people. It's not, they're not selfish. These are people that are open, as you mentioned several times, open. They're open yeah. to giving. They're open to giving knowledge, wisdom, capital, resources, time. And so yeah. I just think that there's so much value in that. And Stephanie, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I could really go on for a long time. I want to, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. Uh, we call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about being open and curious and diverse and learning and being willing to share your time and expertise with other people, because that's the mindset of the wealthy, but it's also not only the mindset of wealthy in terms of finance, but it's also wealthy in terms of life experience and time and geographic freedom and all these beautiful things that comes with creating, preserving and growing wealth. So let's talk about a few things. I'd love to ask you, you know, you were just talking about curiosity and learning. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? I think the uh, definitely is uh, Killing Sacred Cows uh, by Garrett Gunderson. Um, most people have not heard of that one, um, but it is, it's a very cool book in the sense that um, it's a very philosophical book and probably has, I probably touched on some of the, the points in that book, but I read that when I was getting curious as to why the wealthy were doing what they were doing, because I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I came across this book, which really goes over these, these differences of the way wealthy look at their money um, as to the average person. And then the other one, not to stray too far from, from it, but um, is the same author, Garrett Gunderson. And it was, it's what, um, do the Rockefellers do? What would the Rockefellers do? And uh, that's a fascinating book. I love history. And it really talks about what the Rockefellers have done over the generations, because they say that wealth uh, dissipates in, you know, two, two generations, it really dissipates in three generations, it's usually gone. So what have the Rockefellers done? with their empire that's kept it um, strong all of these years. And, and they're very intentional things that I think people should know about. Um, that is amazing. I, yeah. I love that. We'll put links in the show notes. I've uh, not read either book, I'll be honest, but I was yeah. just in Yellowstone National Park and I was driving down John D. Rockefeller Jr. Memorial Parkway. And I can <laughs> tell you if we're in the number one, the first ever national park, that's probably the most famous. And it's named after this individual. And obviously anybody listening, most people know who the Rockefellers are. So right. I think there's a lot to be said about the generational impact that they've been able to create. And of course, immense wealth uh, mm. that's been passed on from generation to generation within that family. So that's amazing. We'll put links in the show notes as to where we can find both of those books. But Stephanie, if you were to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say about that and why? Oh, I think, you know, what I, what I do you know, you, you always hear that, you know, do something you love. And yes, I, I have loved being an entrepreneur when I was um, an insurance agent, but I didn't necessarily love certain parts about that working for a company, uh, you know, but this I absolutely love. And I love getting my message out, um, which is you can 
people can do things differently. You don't have to do things the way that everyone tells you to do them. And I just really want to be out there letting people know that you can do this. You know, you can be an investor. You can generate this cash flow um, like the wealthy people and become wealthy yourself. And by becoming wealthy, then you see that people get to focus on um, things that they love, which bring enrichment to other people's lives. So that's sort of the way that I look at it. I love that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Stephanie? Um, I think probably, you know, again, is is the message that I try to get, get out. Um, I think I generally, you know, I, I participate in a lot of charities. I, I like to raise money because that that tends to be where the charities kind of lack sometimes. Um, so I think, you know, I've picked, I've chosen a few different charities that I like to raise money for. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. And Stephanie, this has been such an insightful conversation. I've learned a lot about continuing to stack on the mindset of a wealthy individual and creating more, preserving more, giving more as you just really kind of wrapped up really the conversation today, because it doesn't just end with our receipt. In fact, it, it really continues with the way that we give to other people, the way that we pay it forward. And you have given us so much today, Stephanie. So thank you for that. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? No, I think that if you have a curiosity for this type of investing, you can definitely go to my website. There's a lot of great content there. Um, it's uh, www.erbewealth.com. And um, there's a new report up there, the five reasons that passive investing might be for you. Um, but there's also a, a put a like a series of videos on there about the most common questions I get from investors, um, which has uh, been a, a pretty popular thing. That's awesome. And we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find Stephanie, whether it's on her website, which you just mentioned, or on LinkedIn or Facebook. And uh, you definitely want to engage with Stephanie because she's obviously got a lot to share. She's doing a lot of amazing things. So again, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. Elevate Nation, I just want to encourage you to re-listen to this show. There's a lot of value when it comes to the wealthy mindset and the money mindset that we just talked about and unlearning what you may be thinking about money because there might be one distinction, there might be two, there might be three that could be total game changers that could compound in tremendous ways in your life and of course in your finances and of course Money is just a vehicle towards creating outcomes in your life. So we know that these type of shifts can make massive changes in your life. So I want to encourage you to re-listen. I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend, share this episode with someone that you care about, someone that maybe you just met and discuss it with them. What, did it, what is it that you learned? What were your takeaways? What were your distinctions? And invite their input as well, because they may have different takeaways. They may have different distinctions or they may compound and stack on your learnings because when you discuss with someone else, that's when you learn more. And I also wanna encourage you, of course, most importantly to take massive action on what's the number one thing that you wanna apply immediately because that's how you really, really anchor in your own understanding, your own learning is to take massive action. With, that, with all that said, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. 
For more, visit elevatepod.com.